One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. From the Financial Times, this is hard currency. The markets expressed something of a relief this week after the first presidential debate. But was that relief rally overdone? And why are some parts of the market awake to the prospect of a Donald Trump victory, but others not? And what might be the outcome for emerging markets for the rest of this year? There are lots of reasons to worry about investing in EM, but are they all trumped by the high-yield opportunities they offer? I'm Roger Blitz, and a very warm welcome to the FD's Hard Currency podcast, when we discuss all things FX. And in the hot seat this week is Roger Hallam, Chief Investment Officer for Currencies at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Roger, what did you make of the market reaction to the presidential debate? I think if recent events have taught us anything, it's that we need to be cautious in interpreting, polling and or betting market odds of, for the outcome of political events. Um, Particularly those who lived through Brexit it, this year. Indeed. And I think one thing that has been obvious as a trend in, in recent years has been the rise of the anti-establishment movement. And uh, traditional methods of picking up at that change in sentiment have underestimated it in, in terms of political outcomes. So we are cautious in extrapolating any trends from the recent presidential debate into longer term trends in markets. Sure. I mean, I, I call it a relief rally. We should make clear that obviously that is the fear of a Trump victory in some parts of the FX world were being manifested and in the run-up to the presidential debate and they appear to be moving away from that in the immediate aftermath. I'm talking specifically about the Mexican peso. But one thing that people have said is that some parts like the Mexican peso seem to be alert to the presidential election. Other parts aren't, particularly Asia. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think as a more thematic trade and position, we are more favourably positioned towards emerging market currencies than we have been for some time. We see a number of reasons to want to be more overweight emerging market currencies. The relative growth picture in emerging markets has improved substantially in recent months. We see favourable developments from a balance of payments perspective. And also when you look at the yields that are available on a range of emerging market countries relative to developed market countries Mm. where yields are low to negative, we think those high yields and the relatively benign uh, volatility environment we are seeing makes those yields relatively and that carry relatively attractive. I mean, that certainly seemed to be the case with Turkey. Turkey, for example, which had a ratings agency downgrading its debt to junk. And yet at the same time, the market seems to have been more interested in the, as you say, the yield opportunity than in the particular idiosyncratic or political risk element. That seems to be a trend happening. Yeah, Turkey is not one of our favoured overweight because of the political uncertainty. But you can take other currencies, the Russias, the Brazils, the, the Colombias, where we see high yields, strong 
and or improving balance of payments dynamics and attractive yields. And that's where we favour our overweights. Let's just examine your recommendation a bit more closely. I mean, where were you, say, for example, in March, say six months ago towards EM? Six months or so ago, we were more cautious, uh, given the still uncertain nature of the Fed hiking cycle. And at that point, we still hadn't seen those same favourable developments from a balance of payments perspective we're seeing now. Okay, and looking, let's say, over the next six months, what is likely to get in the way of your more favourable overweight view towards EM? I mean, in the short term, there will undoubtedly be a bit more volatility associated with the US presidential election. In terms of other factors we need to keep an eye out for would be any adverse developments in China. And I think also if we were to see any pickup in developed market inflation, which sort of suggested that the Federal Reserve, among others, could not maintain the dovish stance that in general it has now, that would also potentially represent a hiccup. We're not forecasting any of those developments to occur in the near term. So, yeah. you know, we remain overweight. If you're an EM investor, you could have a binary view about America. You could take on the one hand the view that a strong US data supporting a Fed hike would actually be negative for EM. Conversely, you could say that weak US data could also be negative EM because of what it says about global growth. Yeah, our look for the US economy is one of steady growth, not too hot, not too cold. (laughs) And we are less concerned surrounding the prospects of a December rate hike. We actually believe we will see a December rate hike. But we believe that the Fed is on a very slow and steady tightening cycle and that we will see one or two hikes again next year. But that still, as a pace of tightening, is very slow and still makes the relative yields available on high-yield emerging markets attractive relative to the lower yields available in developed markets. I mean, that's the big difference from six months ago, because every time we had a sniff of a Fed hike, EM was sold off. There was quite a big reaction the other way. Now we have a much more measured response to the prospect of a Fed hike. Is that a reasonable conclusion? I think that is a reasonable conclusion. And the Fed itself is telling you that when you look at the developments in its dot plots, for example, when it hiked rates back in December last year, it was projecting four rate hikes this year. We'll now be lucky if we get one. And when you look at its medium-term Fed funds projection, that lower dot continues to track lower and is now below 3%. And I think is that more medium term accommodative nature of Federal Reserve policy that is helping underscore the conviction in our EM overweight. And just drilling a little bit further into where in EM, I mean, what's the magic ingredient? Clearly, high yield is a prerequisite. But do you layer on top of that other factors such as political stability or such as GDP growth? I mean, can you name name some of parts of the EM that you particularly like? Yeah, we want to see improving growth dynamics. We want to see improving balance of payments, not necessarily current account surpluses, but certainly an improving trend, in right yeah, improving yeah. trends, yeah. and relative political stability. EM will always have a degree of instability, but relative political stability and ideally high real yields. And you, as I said, Russia, we think it takes that box, as does Brazil. And Colombia has weak balance of payments, but they are improving and also fits the other bills. Who would have thought it about Brazil? Mm. I mean, where were we uh, this time last year or even the beginning of the year? Remarkable turnaround, really. It has been. But for us, the big trigger was the fact that the recession you saw there did lead to an improvement in its current account. And the evidence that the currency had become cheap 
was or, or cheapish was in that change in balance of payments dynamics. Now, let's also talk about OPEC and its decision, which is still, as we speak, very live. What kind of an impact is that likely to have? First of all, what do you think of the market reaction to it? The market reaction looks reasonable. It is the first decision we would have had, if it's genuine, um, (laughs) since 2008. There are, as you say, still a lot of uncertainties as to whether the production cuts will be agreed, how they actually divvy up production cuts. But on balance, if it's true, we would see it as raising the trading range in oil. And I think that is broadly supportive of those oil producing currencies and particular sentiment towards probably emerging markets. And how does America and the Fed view that as broadly good for global growth? Well, I think the Higher oil price wouldn't traditionally be viewed as positive for global growth because they have been broadly seen historically as a tax on consumers. What's been more interesting has been that obviously the downdraft we've seen in oil was a negative for growth because of its impact on investment. I would say perhaps the other more interesting way to look at it is actually its impact on inflation and inflation expectations. If the rise in oil leads to a pickup in inflation expectations and takes around some of the downside risks to inflation, those central banks that are are very sensitive to the current level of inflation, the Fed would be one. They're on the cusp of thinking about hiking rates. Any additional upside risks to inflation might be enough to get them over the line. You might look at other central banks, such as New Zealand, that are hypersensitive to inflation to the downside. Any upside risks there might make them less willing to be more active in terms of easing policy. So I think that's the other angle. There is obviously a growth angle, but at the inflation angle, I think we also need to think about quite carefully as well. You talk about more active in terms of easing policy. Can I explore that a little bit more, what you mean by that? Or specifically where? I mean, for example, in New Zealand, the central bank has been very worried about low inflation and the de-anchoring impact that low inflation is having on inflation expectations. If we were to see a period of rising oil prices, that would lead to a pickup in certainly headline levels of inflation, and that might have an impact on adaptive expectations of future inflation. So that's potentially one example. The BOJ is another central bank that's staked its claim very clearly on pushing inflation up and above 2%. If you saw a period of somewhat higher oil prices leading to higher inflation, they might feel it easier to hit their target. So that's sort of the angle I'm talking about there. Are we slightly on the cusp of a rethink, a change in monetary policy in certain parts of the G10, do you think? I certainly think there is a market theme at present that market participants are thinking about has monetary policy reached its limits. You can see that very clearly in Bank of Japan's recent actions, trying to move to a almost a price targeting yield curve control framework. There's a lot of thought around the ECB that will they or won't they extend QE in later this year, most likely December, we believe. But if they do extend, it will have to change the nature of their QE, maybe scrap the rules on not purchasing below the deposit rate. There is broader issues around would they change the capital key, change their purchases, would they remain in line with the capital key. So yes, certainly we are pushing up against the limits of monetary policy in certain areas of the world. The word tapering is going to be on our lips in the next few months, is it? I think not from the ECB. I think we believe they will extend their purchases beyond March 2017. They may need to make technical changes to their QE program, but we still do believe they'll extend. Tapering for the BOJ is more interesting because the framework they've put in place attempts to control both the price and quantity of money. And we think that is a framework that's unlikely to be achievable. If they're going to be committed to their 0% 10-year JGB target, 
they will need to be more flexible around the amount of monetary base expansion they do on an annual basis. Okay. Just finally, Roger, China is entering the SDR on Saturday. Is that anything more than a symbolic? What might we see from the People's Bank of China in the weeks ahead? We were talking about it when it was announced uh, roughly this time last year. Uh, quite a seminal moment it's been. So much water has gone under the bridge since then that it's almost happening unnoticed. Is that the right thing probably for this, not to make a big show about the renminbi entering the IMF's SDR? It is a long-term objective of the Chinese authorities to increase the internationalization of the renminbi. The inclusion of the renminbi in the SDR as a reserve currency is obviously a big issue for them and it's an important political statement. It has also been our view that it would in the immediate in the period immediately before the inclusion and probably immediately afterwards that the Chinese authorities would likely want to see a period of stability in the renminbi. And that has been broadly what we've seen in the last six weeks or so and we probably in the following six weeks, you know, a period of stability in the renminbi. Having said that, we still believe the medium path for the Chinese currency is lower. We still believe there is the outflow pressures are still there, and we would still expect the renminbi to weaken on a trade-weighted basis as we go through next year. Let's see what they say about it. I can't believe they're going to miss up the opportunity. My thanks to Roger Hallam, Chief Investment Officer for Currencies at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. We'll be back next week. Keep up to date with all the FX news on ft.com forward slash markets. Until next week, it's goodbye. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy the FT Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast presented by me, Claire Barrett, the editor of FT Money. The Money Show comes out every Wednesday and you can download it at ft.com slash podcasts. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.